Welcome to the Red Raven Games Podcast, episode 27. I'm Ryan Lockett. I'm Brenna Asplund. And I'm Andrew Frick. How are you guys doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah, it's yeah. been a while since we recorded. Let's see, we missed last week, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And we almost missed this week because I had jury duty. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys should be lucky that he was not selected. <laughs> yes, I, was, well, I wasn't selected. It was really interesting because I've never been... Um, you know, called to do that, and so I got to sort of go in and see how they select mm-hmm. the jurors, and I'm sure that could have been an interesting experience, but uh, they let me go. So nice. I said, "Hey, I designed games." They're like, "Oh man, get this guy out of here." <laughs> <laughs> oh, we don't we don't want to know about his opinion. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to be back uh, uh, doing another episode because it has been a long time. Yeah, welcome anyone who's listening for the first time. Yeah, totally. So we thought we would change up the way we usually do the podcast, and today we're going to talk about Empires of the Void development first, and then maybe get into what we've played, and and we'll be talking about video games and board games that we've played later in the podcast. Mm -hmm. So you can sort of listen to whatever part you're most interested in, or the whole thing, so... Yeah, it's the April Fool's Day special. Everything's <laughs> flip-flopped. Yeah, did you guys find... How much did, did you do, play any fun jokes on April Fool's Day? Or I did not. No, I no. didn't do anything. No, no, my kids were sure excited about it, even though nothing different happened that day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so um, so we, we're working hard on Empires of the Void. I have been diving into doing lots of art, and the first thing I've been focusing on is changing... Uh, updating a lot of these uh, planet images that I have before. A lot of these were sort of, I, I had, I threw them on there to get the color and the, the basic idea, and now I've been repainting them to get more detail in there, and, and that's been a lot of fun. Like on the Sentina one, it's it's been just an ocean, but I redid it so that it has sort of a, there's like a, a building kind of sticking out of the water, and I repainted the water, and there's like a, there's like a little sea monster kind of sticking out of it. And then I really like the Tanfu one I just painted. It's um, it's like a desert. Uh, it's that same desert image, but it's like a lot more detailed. And there's like a guy walking up, and then there's like a big spaceship sort of hovering over the top of the the landscape. Nice. So that looks absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So I'll 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 probably post that. We'll we'll post those in an update at some point soon. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, and, and uh, you know, we've been just finishing the last few uh, event cards, and we thought we would talk a bit about that. Our team has actually designed, everybody on the team has designed some of the cards, so we thought we would go through each, uh, e- each person here could talk about a different card that they've made. So, Andrew, why don't you go first? Yeah, sure, sounds good. So, one of the ones I, um, I got to work on was a, a new event card for Centina, and this is basically, there is a... Research uh, center slash museum slash theme park, if you will. But basically, uh, it's been overrun. Uh, And so you can go to uh, Centina and explore this facility. Now, now it goes right along with the the, the sort of the world of the, or I should say the story of the planet. Now, the, the Centinians are geneticists. They're like... They're scientists, and they're focusing on de-extinction, so they often will make these interesting genetic experiments. Right. And that's where the sort of the... And that's what this place is, right, that you're going to go to. Right. It says on the flavor text of the planet that they're seeking to master de-extinction and return many lost creatures to their world. So here you have this museum that's kind of been overrun, so when you go to explore it, 
uh, you'll roll a die. This is a part of an action, and you'll use like an action card action to do this. And you roll a die, and up on a one through three, I think you can find a like a scientist or yeah, rescue a survivor. Like rescue a survivor that's stuck there because the the idea is that they've broken out. The creatures, the creatures that they've made have broken out. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you find a tourist who's been like in the museum and you're saving them. Uh, but if you roll higher on the die, then there's going to be uh, creatures that you could encounter. Um, of course, the fusion beast is one of the things that has broken loose that you can fight. And uh, so you fight it. And if you lose against the fusion beast, what's worse is the fusion beast then rampages. It leaves the facility and then it goes on to the planet, like the re- planet region like the capital and it goes and attacks that yeah. so it starts attacking the city very uh much like a kaiju or a godzilla <laughs> rampage starts taking place and, right. uh, and then if somebody was on that planet they will uh they'll have to face it and fight it and if they lose they get fought off the planet and then the, pl- the creature takes over the the planet right. essentially so yep. <laughs> i yeah, thought that's kind really of interesting stories could happen there so. <laughs> yeah cool brenna how about you so one of the event uh, cards that I designed, it takes place on Corlozan. And Corlozan, that is sort of the basic story of that world, is that there's a wormhole nearby that sort of sucks in and spits out just sort of a bunch of people. So there's kind of a modge podge of different people who have kind of gotten stuck on this planet. So for this event... There are some refugees, some people who were pulled through this wormhole and now have to find a way to sort of make a life on Corlozan. So you have the option of building buildings for them to give them a place to live. So every time you build a new building on Corlozan and you can sort of ignore the usual building limits in order to do this, you get a reward for it. And once there are four buildings built there, then the event ends and that goes away because now the refugees all have somewhere to live. <laughs> right. Yeah. And normally there's one building, there's a limit of one building per planet. Yeah. That one you get to ignore. Mm-hmm. Right. So the one I'm thinking of that I want to talk about is there's a, an event on Tanfu. And they're the, sort of these lizard aliens live there. They're kind of warlike. But anyway, somebody has come and slavers have come and they're implanting mind control devices in the in the in the Tanfoons. And so now anyone can recruit these Tanfoons, but they are mind-controlled Tanfoons. And so if you do so, you'll lose all your influence on Tanfu, but you'll be recruiting these like really great fighters. Now, it's, it's interesting because anybody can do it uh, that's playing, not just the person who's allied. Can, can, can recruit those, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So... Yeah, that's just a little spotlight. I have a quick question on that. Yeah, go ahead. Actually, a question on that, Ryan. So the the Tanfu Bloodseekers and the denizens of Tanfu, are they related distantly to lizard folk? Well, that is a good question, (laughs) which I can't answer. (laughs) (laughs) But I definitely like uh, lizard creatures, as, as people have probably realized, and frog creatures. Yeah. 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 Yep. It's like in every game I make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely some frogs in this game as well. Yeah, that's true. So, um, yeah, that's sort of uh, what we're doing, and we're just continuing to, to... I mean, my main focus now is to develop the art, and uh, we're working on that. It's been great. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, keep you updated on how that keeps going. For so. sure. Okay, so um, let's get into what we have been up to and playing games. Right. 
So I, it's been a busy time for me, but uh, I think I got a few games in there that were not Empires of the Void. <laughs> <laughs> One or two. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. How about you guys? What's been going on? Yeah, I've been playing a lot of stuff. For for one thing, just for tabletop, so that Pathfinder campaign I've been running, yeah, I am playing the same campaign that I've designed with a different group now too. So it's the same basic campaign but different player characters. So did you did you did you dump the old group? Or are you still doing? No, the old I'm group? still doing the old oh, group okay. too. I'm running them parallel. <laughs> okay. This is just with uh, a couple of my sisters and my dad because oh, nice. they wanted to play. So nice. this one just. Uh, we did our first session, I think, last weekend. Oh, cool. And it's really, it's kind of interesting playing through the same story with different player characters just to see how the different people interact with stuff differently. Yeah. Because... It's like a totally different experience. Just exactly. Just because of the different personalities. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, there's one NPC who they run into who's like a, like a beginner paladin like she's just started out and she's like kind of like shy and quiet and stuff my first group super mean to her (laughs) (laughs) second group made friends with her right away so you know just stuff like that that's little differences yeah are pretty entertaining to see yeah Um, i remember when i used to role play i had this player that if he could if he could attack something or kill something you would like there's yep. always like if there were three options kill was always the option. of course <laughs> they always threw a wrench into the story of the game it's like <laughs> do you have to kill everything <laughs> yeah yeah uh we'll see so uh, i um i played a couple of euro games recently um and uh i haven't done a lot of like the story and that kind of games uh, on my own free time board games i played I played Manhattan Project Energy Empire oh, yeah. for the first time. It was a worker placement game. It was yeah. pretty good. And then I played um, an older one. It's not too old, but it, a game from Stefan Feld, the designer Stefan Feld, called Macau. And uh, this was part of the Alea Big Box series. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was 12 or 13 or something like that. And it's kind of a neat game. So Stefan Feld had a, a run, or kind of a kick, where he had a lot of games that used dice mechanics, like dice in unique ways to mitigate things. And this one uh, was no different. Each person like has... Castles of Burgundy. The Castle of Burgundy was another one that he did that. Bora Bora was another one he did that for a time. And, and what's, Macau is kind of like a trading in the Mediterranean, but it's not. It's trading in, obviously, in Macau being <laughs> in, like, China, like, you're trading like, in this, right. this region of, you know, your ships moving around, and you're delivering silks and China and different goods. But yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of the backdrop, because really what you're doing is um, each turn there's a group of cards that are like um, these businesses that are that come out and each business has like an order that needs to be fulfilled for you to complete it. So you have to put it on your board in one of your five spaces and every turn you always have to take a new one. And if you run out of space on your board because you haven't completed these orders, you take big negatives. You're always trying to fulfill them. But each order has like, it'll have like you take two red order actions and like one green. So like think two red resource and one green resource. What's neat, though, is that each turn, the five or six dice are rolled, and each die is a different color. And each player gets to choose two of those dice to receive goods from. So the red die, if it rolls a three, I, if I take that, I get to get three red cubes. Uh, if, if I you know, 
the black die is rolled a six, then I get six black skeeves. What 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 puts a little cinch into the you know like kind of like throws a wrench in the works on this whole thing is each player has a little dial in front of them. Bear with me here for a second. They have a little dial, and it has like six spaces. Yeah. And it has like numbered one, two, three, four, five, six, with a picture of the die sides, and with an arrow at the top. And when you get cubes, like when you take these two dice, you're you're going to say, let's say I take the black six and the red three. I take three red cubes, and I place them on the three die symbol, and I take the six black cubes, and I put them on the six die symbol. Then after I'm done doing that, I turn my dial one space clockwise, and I receive all the goods from where my arrow is now facing. Hmm. So you only get to use the goods that you on the round where your arrow is facing. So you have to, like if a card requires me to have green and black, I need to somehow get from these dice to have a turn around where the green and black uh, cubes are going to get placed together. So I'll get them all together so I can complete that order. And the whole game is a programming thing. You're you're setting everything up six turns in advance sometimes because sure I could take a one die, I get one cube and get to use it right away in that turn. But it's way better to get six cubes because you can use each cube is a lot more things you can use it for, but you're six turns away from using it. So it's all these permutations of trying to fulfill these orders and setting things up to get them in the right order, and it's a very engaging thing. I don't I mean I played Ponzi scheme is the only other game I play that kind of uses like a dial thing that turns each round and it's moving this little dial. But yeah, this is a really different game. And yeah. I played it years ago and it's weird because when I went to go play it, I remembered a very different experience yeah. than what I actually ended up playing. But I, I, it was really engaging. My wife and I played it. We loved it and it was a good, it was yeah, a great game. Really for us. Enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it sounds interestingly analytical, like a, like a math puzzle. A, a little bit is. It felt games are kind of that way, yeah. would you say? It's all mitigating this puzzle, almost, like yeah. using dice, and you're not using dice with the luck part, you're using dice in a unique fashion to... Right. Mm-hmm. So That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So let me ask you guys a question. Um, what, over time, do you think your game tastes have changed? And, like, what's a game that you didn't like as much, maybe, and now that you, now you like more? I guess that was an example for you. Well, that's a great question, yeah. But it, mm-hmm. it went... It went. I liked it. I liked it time. better, but I think I forgot how much I liked it. Or maybe you forget, and then I came back and I reappreciated it. And it's it's so different than anything that's existing now. Like of the yeah. kind of newer games. Is I, it is it like is it your change in taste, or is it that um, like you forget how how good some old games are, and you're playing new games, and then you compare it to the new games, and you're like, oh, this is. This is great. Well, if I can, I'll yeah. start yeah, yeah. since where I was still going on that. Yeah, so let me. So or, or in the or it could be opposite. You know, so you thought I, it was great. Yeah. It was actually, it's <laughs> actually part of that question. <laughs> yes, my game tastes have changed greatly. I mean, when I came into the board gaming, the only games I'd really played were Catan, Carcassonne, Bonanza, Descent, and Hero Quest, which was like my love of my childhood. Was a game like Hero Quest, but I came into the hobby being exposed to Euro games heavily. And after playing hundreds and hundreds of different Euro games, you start seeing worker placement games start. There's a lot of them, right? And after you're on the 60th, 70th worker placement game, you're like, this is getting kind of similar. Or another deck builder that's like, an, yeah. I mean, I love deck builders, but after you've played your 50th deck builder, you're like, they, you know, there's something that, that you start feeling the sameness. And I don't, I'm not diminishing any of these mechanical genres or anything, but you play a lot of games certain type. And so I think then I gravitated it's, towards it's, thematic games because... Yeah. The experience I was getting was unique, even though the mechanics weren't super tight. It was, but it's funny because 
as I've been going back, and a few weeks ago I played, I talked to you guys about like games by Wolf and Kramer and Reiner Knizia. I've been going back and trying to play these older Euro games because I'm always exposed, and all my friends in my group always want to play new Euro games. Yeah. And like the Manhattan Project one, like the Energy Empire. And I gotta say, I am kind of becoming a cult of the old because <laughs> uh, you know it's almost like a counter to the cult of the new. Like so. I, my my interest in like new Euro games is not what it once was. You know, I'm definitely more interested in like visiting old ones again. And this is maybe I'm talking we're talking about from a pastime perspective. Like as a pastime, I'm enjoying more to play classic Euro games. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I'm not I'm dismissing new games. No, because, I'm just, because there's great. so much merit yeah. for us even as you know in a development sense to sure. learn and to understand like what's out there, what's happening in these cool new iterations. It's of, fun to see the changes and the new the things people are coming up That's with. Right. That's true. Yeah. That's yeah. True. What about you, Brenda? Well, uh, I've been thinking about this, and like, really, my taste in games has changed for tabletop games, especially in part just because I'm way more interested in games. Like, growing up, I played a bit of Catan, some Carcassonne, and that was really it. Like, Risk once or twice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't play a lot of tabletop games growing up, but one of my favorite, usually my favorite games to play when I was younger were stuff like Apples to Apples or um, Munchkin, you know, kind of yeah. lighter card, yeah. funner party games oh, yeah. kind of things. Right, yeah. Which now would be way less interesting to me. Now I'm more interested in, even in a, like a light filler game, I'd still want to play something that's some sort of interesting puzzle. Yeah. You know, something that I'm figuring out rather than just the social part of it, just the, oh, well, this is funny and exciting. Like, I'd rather... Rather have something to figure out, I guess. Yeah, it's like right. a little bit of a mental engagement that accompanies yeah. the fun, right? Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't want to play something on the other side of the spectrum that's all serious and all work. <laughs> but on if the, there's no fun, that'd yeah. be a struggle. But on me. the other side, but on the other side of it, with video games, very much growing up, I was way more interested in like puzzle games and point-and-click adventure games yeah. and stuff that did involve mental engagement. And I never would have touched a shooter. Or like most AAA games, like yeah. I had zero interest. Now I've played the whole Mass Effect series. I bought the <laughs> new one the day it came out. I like play a lot more sort of I guess mainstream shootery like actiony type games yeah. for video games than I used to. Yeah. Well, I still like the puzzle games as well though. Yeah, you know when I was a teenager, I loved like the rich. RPG games mm -hmm. that were modeled after tabletop RPGs, like all the Bioware, Black Isle Black games, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, these days I still love those. But I, it's 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 interesting. Like I get to that point when I late at night when I have a few, you know, I have like a half hour I could play something. Yeah, and I'm just too tired. To, yeah, <laughs> you know, to play those games because there's so much reading and there's so much like uh, right. It's it's an investment, and you you definitely have to focus a lot. You know? For sure. It's like, and you know, at the same time, heavy tabletop games are harder and harder for me to get to play these days because uh, I have three young kids, and it's like, you know, time is suddenly a lot more 
uh, valuable. Right. <laughs> yeah. Do you end up playing game board games with your kids? Have you have they played anything yet? Yeah. Were they old enough that they're doing that too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to play more games with them, but uh, one of the games that worked out really well was um, uh, Stone Age. Actually, yeah. yeah, it's actually very intuitive. You know, you roll the dice, and those are your guys, and you get to send them around, and they they pick up. I mean, it's a work replacement game, but it's fun to roll the dice and Sid. Um, my oldest, he totally got into it. Right. And, I mean, he's way into Pokemon cards right now, so that's kind of what he wants to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but back on the subject of RPGs, I actually find that these days, at least compared to when I was like a teenager or when I was a kid, I have more ability to mentally engage with them than I used to. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, like a big, like a heavy JRPG. I finished, I think, one of those growing up. Yeah. That I actually completed. There were a few others that I started and did the like beginning of and then lost interest in. Whereas um, right now, one of the games I'm playing currently is uh, Near Automata, which is a big sort of action JRPG that came out recently. And I have already played through the game three times. Oh wow! <laughs> Although with this Whoa. with this particular game, it's a little different because the playthroughs are intentionally short because you get new story content and different endings as you play through it. So I've actually only done three out of sort of the five main endings. There's actually, there's a, there's an ending for every letter of the English alphabet. So there's 26 endings, (laughs) but most of them are like really short, like non-standard game over type endings. Like you do something stupid and then it gives you a really short, like, flavor text and that's the end oh, and wow. it kicks you back to the menu but like there's five of them a b c d and e yeah. are like big heavy endings like oh, yeah. play through whole different levels and lead to a big like a massive story difference well that's fascinating so I it's seen, really interesting i'm glad like, to see people talk about it but i didn't realize but that like but i but i do agree with you that it does take sort of time and energy to get into it like even with these heavy games usually i'll play them over a weekend when i have at least a couple hours to invest to it you know like i wouldn't sit and play just half an hour of one of these games because i don't know it doesn't feel satisfying in half hour chunks you You can't do it like a four hour chunk exactly (laughs) yeah i'm glad to see uh square enix doing that again because that chrono trigger and chrono cross i love those need to see them do that whole yeah. and it's fascinating i like this might sound a little braggy but it's just because it's something i've sort of gotten used to do used to doing growing up like it's something i've practiced i'm really good at predicting what's going to happen in stories like it's really hard for a story twist to surprise me i'll see it coming a mile away yeah in near automata like Every every half hour in the game, every like at least two or three times in an ending, I'm like shocked. Like I'll gasp <laughs> out loud at some new story twist, and I'm like, "How do they keep having more twists? How are there more revelations here? How's there deeper layers that we haven't gotten to yet?" And it's it's <laughs> amazing. Cool. Like there's one big twist that I did. I saw it coming a mile away. I guessed it the minute I started playing the game. I'm like, there's this big major secret underlying everything going on here. And I was right about that. It's just that there are like five layers of secrets as well underneath that that I didn't see coming. It's really, it's an interesting game. 
Well, you know, as we're talking, it's just making me reflect that I, I, I guess I've become kind of retro in my, in my, the games I've been pursuing and stuff. I mean, look, I still love thematic games, and I, you guys have heard me talk about playing Shadows games of Brimstone. Games were better back in the day. No, 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 no. <laughs> when I play Shadows of Brimstone, I These play... millennials and their boring <laughs> games. Yeah. Yeah. But Descent, I love Descent. I love uh, Imperial Assault, Star Wars Imperial Assault. So I love those kind of games, too. But even my video games I've been playing, the one I've been playing most is uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. And I am oh, yeah. finally farther in that game than I had ever... I tried that one six or seven times and got to like certain points and then had to... like I just lost interest or I got overwhelmed or I died too many times, I got frustrated, but finally grinded through the parts that were tricky. And um, It's funny, Brennan, you mentioned all these surprises in a video game. Well, mm-hmm. that game keeps surprising me. Like I keep getting attached to characters and they die. They should have just called it Game of Thrones, like the <laughs> prequel or something, but oh, yeah. very That's fun, it's very fun game. Yeah, yeah, love that one. I mean, thinking back for me, when I was a teenager, I was into, uh, I was really into uh, tabletop pen and paper RPGs. You yeah. Know? That's all I did. I had a weekly game group. We did it a lot, and um, I think I burned out on it. <laughs> but, you know, at the time I was playing some board games, like I played... Everyone was talking about this Settlers of Catan game, so or Catan as the kids call it these days. <laughs> it's funny because I was I was, Yo, I, was a, snap, I, I was at a school and uh, I got up and I was presenting about game design and I was I, I was talking about the game and everyone was like kind of giggling, you know, it's and because I, I kept saying Catan and the teachers like kids, I told you it's Settlers of Catan and the kids were like. No, it's Catan. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Anyway, when I played it as a teenager, I I didn't love it. I was like, "Where's the where where are the cool like monsters and like (laughs) this art is super boring, right?" (laughs) And I played a couple other games kind of like it, and they they looked kind of boring. In fact, I remember looking. I went on Board Game Geek and I looked at this number one rated game, Puerto Rico, and I was like, Mm. "Man, this looks super boring," you know. I'm looking at this boring art and like, because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a role player, right? <laughs> or a video gamer. And so it didn't look interesting. So anyway, I finally played it a little, a few years later. And that really introduced me. That really gave me the Euro game bug. And um, that game, it was, it was really, it was like shocking to me. I'd never played anything like it, you know? I loved how it moved so quickly and how when one player chose an action, it did, you know, all the players did it. And and uh, it just seemed like so deep and there was so much in it, right? Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so that really got me into the, the whole genre. Um, and, you know, also the time I was playing a lot of American-style big board games as well. Yeah. But uh, I, I definitely have a soft spot for that that kind of a game, that mid-weight game that you can play in like 90 minutes. It's a great game. You can get it out. You can play it with your family. Um, it's funny because at the time when I learned Puerto Rico, it, I thought it was really comp- complicated. And now when I play it, I think, wow, this is really <laughs> not complicated compared to all the games that are coming out now. <laughs> yeah. Not to steal your thunder on that one, but I just wanted, what you said resonated with me. I had a very similar experience. I was invited to uh, a board game group um, at my college. I went to BYU and in the atrium of the Wilkinson Center. I remember it, you know, 
that they this guy was doing these game nights and he's like, you want to learn some cool board games? Like, uh, he taught me the game first one that night. He taught me was Pirates Cove. Oh yeah. Then he taught me Mystery of the Abbey, and then he finished on that evening teaching me Puerto Rico. And I <laughs> swore I had dreams about it that night. Like I thought about it, <laughs> thinking, and, and I really have to say that my love of the board game hobby. Like, it started with Catan and Carcassonne and those ones. And Munchkin, like you said, Brenna. And, mm-hmm. yes, Apples to Apples was in there. I think maybe uh, uh, Guillotine was another one that I played back in those times. Yeah. But I, on two hands, I could count all the games that I had for exposure without talking about the big box Monopoly and Risks and things like that. But Puerto Rico was like, it just, it opened up my mind to what gaming can do and can be and the complexity and the yeah. elegance and uh, anyways. Yeah, it's like I'm, so, I'm it's so complex, but so elegant at the same time. I know that word gets thrown around a lot, but at the, yeah, when I was about, I was playing it when I was about 20 and, and man, it, it was so surprising. Anyway, I have, it's a, it's a funny story with Puerto Rico. So I was living in the Dominican Republic at the time and that was my one game that I had. And so I played that game to death. <laughs> in Puerto Rico, or not in in Dominican Republic, they um, it's funny because Puerto Rico is uh, just uh, you know it's the next island. It's a over. stone's throw away. <laughs> it's yeah. the same culture. Anyway, in the uh, in in the Dominican Republic, they only have power for like um, maybe half the day because mm-hmm. people don't pay their power bill and just the economy isn't isn't great and um, so half the day you don't have you don't have light, and uh, so we would play this game like at ten o'clock at night with candles, and we could still play this game. We didn't have to plug it in, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we'd play it by candlelight in the Caribbean. It was pretty cool. Nice. That's neat. Very very interesting. Yeah. So there's like you can see on on some of the pieces in my game. There's like there's like candle wax like all over it, and yeah. It's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. Great, that's a so. good story. <laughs> good. <laughs> well, uh, I think we're about out of time. Yep. Uh, we have one quick uh, announcement. Uh, we have a promo that we made. Um, do you want to talk about that, Andrew? From uh, the Secret Cabal? Sure. Uh, yeah, correct me if I say anything uh, amiss here. But, uh, yeah, so today, uh, the day we're recording is April 4th. And so tomorrow, our time... Um, the Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast, which uh, we're big, we're fans of, and I personally have been a huge fan of for a long time. We are uh, we uh, Ryan us we've worked on a promo for it, and we're going to make that promo available uh, for people if they want to support the Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast. You can go over to their show and on their channel and on their website they uh, talk about it pretty extensively. I know Jamie put up like a video or a recent episode of their show talking about why they're doing a Kickstarter and such, and, but uh, so we're excited to be able to you know, work with them on that. And what we're making is uh, a promo that's going to have um, five character tokens that can be played in near and far. And uh, on the reverse side, they can be played in above and below or aisle bound, you know, yeah, depending, depending on which yeah. character. And these character tokens are the five founders of the Secret Cabal. So you'll be getting Chris, you'll be getting Brian, Tony, Jamie, and Steve. And so we're just super excited to do that. And Ryan did the art for these characters, and I think they look fantastic. And so I hope people are excited about that. 
Yeah, so go check out their uh, Kickstarter project. Yep, by the time you're hearing this podcast, the Kickstarter will be running, so go check that out now. There you go. That's right. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for joining us, uh, and uh, visit our website, redravengames.com. Follow us on Twitter, at redravengame. You can follow me on Twitter, at Brenna underscore Aspland. You can discuss the difference between Euro games and Ameritrash games <laughs> on Board Game Geek with me at Wisp Walker. <laughs> yep. Have a good week, everybody. Play lots of games. Uh, we'd like to thank uh, Fluid Volt for the use of our theme song, Doggy Goes Moo, off the album Clay Memory. You can find more of their music on SoundCloud.com slash Fluid Volt. See you next week. Nevermore.